Our reading this morning is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1 and down to verse 26. John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship, worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I The one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord.
Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, what, a, what an amazing passage. What, a, what an extraordinary moment in conversation. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for speaking to this woman at the well and ask that you would speak to us this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, and open our ears to hear the words of the Lord. Open our hearts that we might respond as she did. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody, uh, including those who are online, joining us online. It's great to have you with us this morning. Let me start with a verse from the Psalms. This is Psalm 63, verse 8. My soul follows hard after you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul follows hard after you. Your right hand upholds me. So in this combination of phrases, I, you, who approaches who? Does God come to us to uphold us or do we come to God following hard? Deep in the core of our Christian faith, we know that it is always God who moves first. God creates. God blesses. God redeems. And in Jesus, God comes in human form to us. Jesus speaks. Jesus blesses. Jesus heals. Jesus rescues. God moves towards us because he is love. Unfettered by any bonds, Nevertheless, he seeks the precious, intimate bonds of relationship. And so he seeks you. He seeks me. He seeks us this morning. And we can only come to him because he is already coming to us. We can only follow hard after him because he upholds us. And yet we too must come to him. We too must follow hard. All relationships break down, don't they, if only one person wants it. We know that. We, we long for someone to be our friend, to be our lover, our spouse. But if they don't want it too, we're going to be disappointed. God experiences that to our surprise and astonishment. He experiences that too. In Jesus, God offers to us and to himself a glorious, a terrible alternative. Either the profoundest, the richest, the most wonderful joy of presence or the severest, deepest grief of absence. And he gives that choice to us. Which means that right now, the practical reality for us is this that we must pursue God. 
We must follow hard after him. Only then can the glory of relationship with God in Jesus come into being. Only then can the longing of our hearts and of God's be fulfilled. That is what Jesus yearns for and asks us for. That we pursue him, that we follow hard after him. Just imagine a toddler taking her first steps and the father is squatting down, grinning, arms out to catch and the toddler is stumbling forwards and the father is longing, willing that she should make it, keep coming, make it into his arms and then that moment she throws herself into his arms and that embrace and her, her heart is singing, I did it, I did it, I'm safe, I'm safe. And his heart is singing, you did it, you did it, I love you, I love you, you're safe. I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. And so to our passage. Jesus and his disciples have been in Judea, the area south of Jerusalem, inviting, challenging, baptizing, calling people to follow hard after God. And now he's moving north into new territory where people understand God less, where they're further away from him. He sits down at a well, Jacob's well. Jacob the forefather of the Israelites, a thousand years before, had spent many of his earlier years deceiving those closest to him, alienated from his family, afraid of his brother, dictating terms to God. And yet God had upheld him till at last he was brought to a standstill in the midst of his fear and shame. And God upheld him again, still, until he surrendered and learned how to hold on to God in trust. Wrestling became embracing. And here, to Jacob's well, comes a woman in much the same situation. Ostracized, alienated, ashamed, afraid. She too has learnt suspicion, distrust. She too is alone by the water, by Jacob's own well, when God meets her. She's come to this village well at the sixth hour, that's noon, on her own, at the hottest time of the day. Lonely, isolated, rejected by her Jewish neighbours. I wonder if that feels like you. Do you feel isolated and rejected? Do past choices or experiences fill you with shame? Snubbed by others, have you cut yourself off from them? But as she arrives to draw her lonely jar of water, she finds a man sitting there. Awkward, more embarrassment. Yet Jesus generously speaks to her when nobody else would. Perhaps prophet that he is, he has anticipated this moment and sent his disciples away to protect her from their unkind chatter or their clumsy surprise. 
So now he meets her alone in the quietness of the noonday siesta. And Jesus steps through that invisible wall around you too. He sits beside you right now, ready to notice you, to take you seriously, to care about you when nobody else will. Well, that's kind, you think, but he'd never do that if he really knew what I was like. You've been hurt so often that you'd rather push others away than let your defenses down and then be rejected. But Jesus already knew this woman. As she later acknowledges, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Yet still, he accepted her. He already knows your secrets hidden away and he won't walk away from you. Jesus' generosity continues. He asked the woman for a drink. Well, we might think that's rather presumptuous. He's presuming on her good nature to have something, uh, you know, that she's taken the trouble to draw from the water. But actually, it's far otherwise. Jewish contemporaries of Jesus would rather have gone thirsty than to accept a drink from a woman and a Samaritan. Yet Jesus receives it gladly. In our culture, we honor one another, don't we, by offering hospitality. Come round for a drink, for a cup of coffee. But for her, it was the other way around. Jesus pays her a huge compliment just by asking her for hospitality. I remember visiting a pastor in Indonesia a culture much more like the culture of Jesus' day. And uh, I knocked on the door, and he wasn't in, and uh, his family pressed me to have a drink with them. And so I did, and went on my way. And I heard later that his whole community around had been impressed, had been pleased that I had gone to his house and accepted a drink. And so the pastor was delighted and thrilled that I had honoured him in that way. This is a Samaritan, a woman, and it seems that she has a bad reputation, and yet Jesus generously invites her to bless him. Often meeting someone, Jesus puts them at ease by doing exactly that, by showing his vulnerability and by asking for, his, for help. But he also generously offers hospitality too. He has asked the woman for some well water. But then he says, if you knew who was asking this of you, you would ask him and he would give you living water, spring water, water that will never dry up like this well. You may have offered a little of yourself to Jesus, a little of your attention he offers you all of his. For a little of your money, he offers all his resources. For a little of your love, all of his compassion. For a little of your time, all of his eternity. You offered him a mouthful of water. He offers you a long, cool draft of his clear, life-bringing love welling up within you. 
Jesus often does this, both asks for and offers hospitality. He asked to borrow Peter's boat, and later he cooked him breakfast on the beach. If you've already met Jesus, I wonder, what was your first experience? Did Jesus give you a gift in some way? Or did he ask you to help out? I've certainly known both. Either way, Jesus offers friendship and recognition to us where others haven't noticed or needed us. And yet, of course, Jesus' generosity goes even further still. He offers to this woman not only his attention, his vulnerability, his kindness, his life. He also offers his truth. The truth about himself. That amazing statement at the end of our reading. The truth about her. Everything I ever did. In his generous compassion, Jesus doesn't allow this woman to remain in her self-delusions and and self-deceit. Whatever culture has formed her worship and her worldview, whatever past hurt she is using to justify her current self-image and behavior, she can't pull the wool over Jesus' eyes and she can't hide from his compassion. Gently, kindly, he names her religion, and her lifestyle. And he invites her to set them both aside so that she can receive his gift of new life. Of course, the Samaritan woman doesn't yet know that the generosity of Jesus knows no bounds. He will go all the way. In the end, he will offer absolutely everything, plunging himself into the wickedness, the sin, the suffering of the world, so that evil and rejection, self-hatred and shame can be washed away by his eternal life-giving stream, flood of love and mercy. He'll die on the cross for her and for us so that he can give his resurrection life to us all. Even so, when this Samaritan woman meets God in Jesus, even though she hasn't seen all of that, nonetheless, she stops fleeing him. She stops fighting. She's seen enough. Instead, she allows herself to be upheld by him, to drink his living water, to follow hard after him, wholeheartedly, excitedly, exuberantly, without shame or embarrassment or pretense. Come and see. How about you? Do you want to discover more of this Jesus who knows you intimately already and loves you utterly? Please don't slip away as she might have done, but didn't. Come and have a word afterwards with me or with Katie if you're in the building, or if you're online, email Jonathan G. the vicar and talk with him about it. Or sign up 
for an alpha course. There's one coming up almost immediately. Uh, sign up and, and, and ask those questions and hear those words of Jesus through others. As we see in this passage, the Samaritan woman discovers that a conversation with Jesus demands a response. Her spirit is quickened and excited. Who is this man who knows her so well? Can he be the Messiah, the one sent by God? A dawning realization entices her into worship. Not just some bloke, not merely a good, kind man, not even a powerful prophet. This is God himself who loves us. And our hearts begin to sing. Our first response to Jesus' generosity is the tender budding of love in our hearts. A time is coming and has now come, says Jesus, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Worship springs from open-hearted and clear-sighted gratitude to the one who loves us first. Our spirits follow hard after him whose right hand upholds us. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. And for those of us who respond to the generosity of Jesus, the story holds further challenges. Read the rest of the chapter when you get home. For this woman, following hard after Jesus, leads not just to worship, but also to transformation. Her life is transformed. No longer hiding from her community, coming to the, to the well at noonday when nobody else will be there. Now she seeks them out. No longer dried up and withered, desiccated by their contempt. She overflows with new joy. <coughs> no longer imprisoned by their worldviews and judgments. She, sharely, sorry, she freely shares the truth that she has discovered. So the first stage in our journey of faith is to discover Jesus for ourselves. That we are upheld by his compassionate acceptance and truth and his offer of eternal life. And the second stage comes straight after that as we pursue him with all our hearts, joyfully sharing what we have discovered about Jesus with those around us. And what an improbable witness this was. A woman from a different faith to Jesus and an outsider to her own community. If Christ can touch her life, he can touch any of ours. If she, if she can share what she's learnt with her disapproving neighbours, then surely so can we. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then joy upon joy, she sees Jesus transforming her community too. The end of the passage goes, or the end of the, the chapter goes, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. What a privilege to witness to what you have discovered, to invite others to meet Jesus that you have found, and to see them too changed by the love which has changed your life. Isn't that incredible? And that's our vision here at St. Paul's, isn't it? To see Lemington changed one life at a time. One person meets Jesus and is changed. And she invites her neighbor to meet Jesus and he is changed too. And his wife and her father and his dentist and her colleague. One by one. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Meanwhile, the returning disciples are stretched as well. Coming back from their shopping trip into the midst of this gospel encounter, they are challenged yet again by Jesus. Jesus is drawing into their circle, into their family, Someone from way beyond their expectations. Someone beyond the pale. A woman on her own. A Samaritan. Their view of Jesus' compassion, of his mission, of his salvation, is enlarged yet again. Beyond the safety of their religious scruples, their ethnic certainties, their respectable complacencies, they are being prepared by Jesus, step by step, little by little, to be ready to be sent to all the nations, to all lifestyles, to all religions, to declare that Jesus is the saviour of the world, that Jesus is Lord over all of them, and to offer his good news of forgiveness, reconciliation, and new life. And they're also being taught step by step to trust their Heavenly Father for his provision and for his protection as they set about their work. That they will be upheld by his right hand as they follow hard after his calling. Jesus offers us to the same challenging commission and the same upholding promise. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you. Always. To the very end of the age. Let's pray. My soul follows hard after you. Your right hand 
upholds me.